Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4, please. We'll be in verse 13. And just a few moments, if you want to keep James 4 open, that'll be our primary text. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here on staff, and we are grateful you've joined us. And we want you to feel comfortable to participate uh, this morning and however uh, you deem fit, because we want this to be about your relationship with Jesus in community. So we're glad you're with us. Uh, A couple of uh, pieces of family business I want to begin with. I want to remind you on October 26th, that's two weeks from today, Uh, we're going to be having a big splash, which is a worship night and an opportunity for those that want to be obedient to Christ in baptism, who have not made that uh, choice to do that yet, to give you an opportunity to come that evening and be a part of that, to give your life to Christ, be washed in baptism as a sign of your uh, commitment to him and begin that relationship. And we encourage you to do so. Uh, There's ways that you can let us know about that. We already have people that have told us they're coming that night. Uh, to be a part of that, but the, the entire night's a night of worship in here, and so we encourage you to come, whether you're an immersed believer or not, just be a, come be a part of that, but you can go to our webpage, you'll see a big splash uh, banner, just go ahead and click that, and it will allow you to register to let us know that you would uh, like to take advantage of that opportunity that evening. Uh, if you don't, if you're not tech savvy and you just want to tell somebody, go back to the prayer center out in the lobby, and uh, just sign out a card saying that you'd like someone to contact you about being baptized at the Big Splash. That's two weeks from uh, tonight, and it'd be five o'clock here in this room, and really just encourage you to make plans to be a part of that night as we're going to worship God and celebrate Him together. Also, at the end of today's sermon, which is very common for what we do here, you see tables in this room that have lamps on those. We encourage people to go to those tables if they want someone to pray with them, if they want to leave a prayer request for our staff and elders to pray over, or if you just need maybe some help in figuring out uh, some things in your world and you just want someone to journey with you for this week, we would love to do that. So at the conclusion of the service, you can do that in here, or, or during the service rather, you can do that in here. At the conclusion of our service, you can go out into the prayer center in the foyer. And there will be several of us back there by those tables. And you're free to come write out a prayer request or speak to somebody. But we want to be available to you to help you this week in your journey. And so uh, we hope you'll take advantage of those opportunities. We're in a series called Corrective Lenses. As you can see by the bumper video, this series is about understanding the worldview, the way we should see the world according to God. And we've talked about some pretty big ticket items. Uh, we talked at the beginning about what is a worldview? What does it mean to have an examined life? Then we talked about what is the purpose of man? Why did God create us and bring us here? If we're not here by our own will, but we're here by uh, things outside of us, why did God create us and what did he give us to do? We've talked about the purpose and theology of work. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. It's for one of the purposes we're here. We talked about the value of each person. In a world that measures us by what we do, uh, we're measured by how much God loves us and why he brought us here. We've talked about the gift of the church, community, why relationships matter, why God has geared us not to try to live life alone. We've talked about what truth is and how do you hold on to truth and where do you find truth in a world that says nothing's true for everybody. We discussed that two weeks ago. Last week, we took a real light subject matter, our sexuality. And we talked about what it means to be a sexual creature. How does that fit in God's plan and how you cannot separate your sexuality from your soul. 
That you can't live with your body one way and profess with your soul another thing. That they can't be separated. So last week was really one of those awkward sermons. And I appreciate the encouragement we've received, but the reason it's awkward is not because we shouldn't talk about it, because when you talk about it, shame enters the equation and people begin to coil up and protect themselves because they've got sexual sin or they have desires that they wish they didn't. And there's all of this feeling of, oh, just hurry and get this over with. Now, today's sermon is just rough because it's about time. Time is the greatest commodity that you and I control. Time is the one thing that if we're honest with each other, I think a majority of in this room will say, what I do with my time is my business. It's no one else's. And that's just biblically not true. So last week I made you feel uncomfortable. This week I get to make you angry. Yay. I'm going to talk to you about what you do with God's time. First couple services I made a mistake of saying it's what you do with your time. I just don't believe that. So let me tell you about the theology of time. I can't go into great length on this, nor do I think would you be fascinated by it. So I just want to give you two primary principles about time. First of all, time is a creation of God. We did not come up with this. The measurement of time was built into God's system from the very beginning. And let me show you why I believe that. Genesis 1.5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So Genesis tells us that a day was marked by the regular cycle of evening and morning. John 11 tells us an hour is one-twelfth of the period of daylight. Numbers 28 tells us that months are determined by the regular phases of the moon. And 1 Kings 4 tells us that a year is 12 lunar months. We didn't come up with this. We didn't invent time. We didn't invent the measurements of time. We didn't decide to do that to order and structure our world. Our God created this world with great purpose and great intricacy. It did not come from nothing. It was created by God. He took from nothing and created everything in his perfect structure. Like our lives, we don't get to determine why we're here. And like time, we don't get to decide if it is or isn't accurate. It's perfect. It's a part of God's creation. The second point I want to make about the theology of time is that God gives us all time, but it still belongs to him. God created it. God gifted it to us, but it is his. And I'll make that point a little bit later in the message. I have multiple verses I can choose to use, but I'm going to use Job 14.5 primarily. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Interpreted. You're not going to live forever. Methuselah, according to the book of Genesis, lived to 969 years. Uh, I always remember the great debate in Bible college. If you measure Methuselah out his entire lifetime, he dies the day before the flood or in the flood. I'm not sure. I'm fascinated. But he lived 969 years. I'll pass on that. How about you? I'm feeling old at 49. I can't imagine 969. And with nothing on TV, what would I do all day? So I don't want to live that long, but the Bible also says that God's decreed that man, after a period of time, would live no longer than 120 years, which is funny because then people come up, well, there's a dude in Japan who lived 124 years. Okay, he's the only one. The principle's still in play. We're not going to live forever. God has decreed that there is a time appointed by which each man will die, and we're not going to live as long as we would like at times, or maybe even live longer than we want to. So what is the prevalent worldview of time? 
How is it depicted? What is the rub here? What God says about time and what we do with time. And I'd like to use James 4 to illustrate it, although it's only one of many texts that speak about time. So, if, if I may, the number of people who have said to uh, Peter Buckland or myself, I, I can't believe I went to a church that talked about sex. I've never heard a church talk about that. Well, there's actually more in the Bible about time, and you don't hear about that in church much either. So I hope you're as open to this topic as you were to last week's. Because the teaching about it is important. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Stop. Feeling tense yet? Because some of you will let me look at your checkbook before you let me look at your date book. And so if you're sitting here going, oh, he's going he's to rub it in. I'm not. I'm not. This is not a place of shame. This is a place of repentance. So if the word of God opens to us a fallacy in the way we live, can we all agree that we can change by the grace of God? Can I have an amen on that? Our last service I said, shake your head if you agree. Kenny Ansley said, first hour, he's sitting with his two granddaughters, and one of his granddaughters went, why is he telling us to shave our heads? <laughs> okay, so I need to uh, enunciate. Shake your head. Although if you took my haircut, it saved you a lot of time. All right, so anyway, it all fits together. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The the book of James, written by the brother of Jesus, is written to the early Christians. It's one of the first three books in the New Testament, we suspect based on its dating, and what I want to caution you not to do is to take individual lines out of James like he was writing little Proverbs statements about how to live. He wasn't. He's writing an entire treatment of how to exhibit your faith, how to live out this new life with Jesus Christ. And one of the things James brings up is how we look at time. There was a man who took a class in uh, task management, how to be efficient. It was a part of his duties for work, So he took this class, and when he was about to graduate, he was excited about what he'd learned about how to become more efficient, use his time well, and all of that. When the instructor of the course said to the class, "Uh, don't go crazy and try to implement this everywhere. And they were all excited about what they learned, so one of the students said, well, why would we not try to put this into practice? And the instructor told them this. He said that one morning, after he had learned this, he watched his wife make their breakfast. And he realized how inefficient she was. She had many steps in her plans that weren't necessary. He said like she'd go get silverware and come without grabbing a plate. And she'd go get this out of the refrigerator and then get this. And he said if she just would listen to him, he could teach her how to be efficient. He said when he first measured his wife's efficiency, it took her 20 minutes to make their breakfast. He said after he spoke to her about it, it took him only seven minutes to make his own. Time is a threatening topic to us. It truly is. Because you will never use the pronoun my any more than when you talk about how you spend your life. Money, easier to take, believe it or not. Is James telling us in this text that you should not make plans? Unfortunately, uh, I have taught that, and I repent. I've heard others teach it, and I hope that they've repented too. 
that if you make plans, like the Christian life is to wake up every day going, well, I really would like to do that, but I better not because it's ungodly. That's not what they're saying. In verse 13, it says, if you make plans. And in verse 15, it says, if you make plans. Not quoting, paraphrasing. They're both saying the same thing. But what's missing? Verse 17 says, if you don't do it the way God has called you to do it, it's a sin. Then what is the issue present with us? Because verse 17 says, anyone who does not do this, who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to them, it is sin. That's not disconnected from these verses. He's telling us there's a significant difference between the faith we profess and the way we spend the life of faith. So what is the sin? Let me explain it this way. It's going about your life's operation and forgetting the ownership and presence of God. It is the issue of worldview, if you're wondering. How does this fit into worldview? It's this, the compartmentalization of our lives. There's a Sunday mark, and then there's a Monday through Friday mark. There's a mark at work, and there's a mark at home. There's a mark on his day off, and there's a mark when he's under obligation to other people. If you live your life that way, and our culture says it's okay, put your head down, do your work, plow the field, and then go have fun, as if there are two separate people doing this. And therein lies the fallacy. Our culture tells us that you can do with your time whatever you want. And I've even said both services, so you're aware from a Christian worldview, I have heard people say this, and I don't, like, I'm not setting up a straw man to tip him over to show you how strong I am. I want to make this point, that some of us say, well, I tithe my time to God. God never asked you to tithe his time back to him. He's asked to go with you every step of your time. To not have a time in your life that God is not engaged. To walk any moment of your life where God could not go with you and journey with you in this. And plus, the people that tell me that they tithe their time, are you really giving 2.4 hours a day to God? Every day? For the gift he's given you? Of course we don't. So how are we to live this? Not without shame, or not with shame. Not, not living our lives saying, okay, God, you got 20 minutes this morning before I went to work. Now I'm going to go do my stuff. That's where James says, that's the problem. And why would we as Christians allow ourselves to do this? It's the same argument I made last week. And that is that if you say sexually you can do with your body whatever you choose to do with your body, and it has nothing to do with your worship, respect for God, or soul, you've misunderstood the connection between body and soul. It's the same principle I'm talking about today. If you can use your time for God and then time without God, you've misunderstood the gift of time. Because time is life. And here's why we make this compartmentalization. This is why it's easy for us to have a work mark, a church mark, and a family mark. The reason it's easy for me to do that is based on what James says is this premise. I can depend on the idealized tomorrow. Tomorrow, what a fantasy word. It's a beautiful word. We all love tomorrow. If you don't know what's coming tomorrow, now some of you got to go into work and you're going to get smoked by your boss. I understand why you don't see tomorrow as a good word. But if you look at tomorrow and you don't have anybody jumping in your, in your grill, if you don't have any deadlines you've missed, if you simply look and say, tomorrow is a blank slate, do you feel happy about that or sad? The idealized tomorrow says, everything's good. 
right? How many of us have a diet that's going to start tomorrow? I have nine of those. I'm awesome at those. How many of you are going to exercise tomorrow? You're going to start tomorrow. Or read that book. I'm going to read that book I need to read tomorrow. I'm going to have the tough conversation tomorrow. I'm going to write the thank you note tomorrow. I'm going to invest my money better tomorrow. I'm going to say no to me tomorrow. I love tomorrow because tomorrow never comes, according to Garth Brooks. Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind says, I can't think about that right now. If I do, I'll go crazy. I'll think about that tomorrow. The band wants me to sing from Annie, but I'm, I'm running out of time, so I need to proceed. <laughs> Verse 14 says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. This is a big statement. I don't say it to show off. But with the... Uh, Thousands of people that walked in this place, over 2,000 people will be in here today. Some of us won't be here next week, just by pure statistics. But if I said to you, how many tomorrows do you have? Most of it say, enough. We don't know about our health tomorrow. We don't know about our schedule tomorrow. We don't know if we'll have a job tomorrow. We don't know if our kids will be happy tomorrow. We don't know if our marriage will be healthy tomorrow. We don't know any of these things. When we live in a tomorrow and forget the value and opportunities of God's presence today, we're making a sinful mistake. This is what James wants us to know. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Isaiah 56, verse 12, out of the Living Bible, is a startling translation. I like it. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer, and tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. I could bring people up on this stage that are in this room right now that would tell you that's a lie. Tomorrow doesn't ever promise to be better, and God says, you don't know that you have a tomorrow, and when you live as if you can take care of the opportunities God's granted you today, tomorrow, one day you're going to run out of tomorrows, and then what will have happened? Remember, this isn't about shame, this is about repentance. This is about all of us resetting our lives to remember that the world has said, you'll always have time to fix your difficulties. Avoid the tough conversation. Don't handle what's in front of you today. Put it off as long as you can because tomorrow will be a better day to fix it. And it's alive, Satan. God is warning us. So what is the biblical worldview of time? This first statement, I need you to hold on with me. Okay, hang with me this morning. This is one of those threats, but time will be accounted for. Time is not ours. Time was created by God as a measurement, and that time will measure us. Your time is your life. If you've been good, you still only get 168 hours a week. If you've been horrible, you're still going to get 168 hours a week. You don't get more time. You can't, you can't make up for what you've done in the past. The opportunities in front of you, we've all had those moments, haven't we, where you had an opportunity to do an amazing thing, and your mind said, do that amazing thing, and you thought, I'll just wait a little while to do that amazing thing, and what did you never do? That amazing thing. Because we premise an opportunity as it's always going to be there. Instead of seizing it, speaking the truth, loving our neighbor, serving the Lord, not as an obligation. If you hear this as a duty... You've misunderstood why God gave you the gift. God has let us play on this big globe for his joy and for his glory and for our joy so God can glorify us through Jesus Christ. This is not a duty. This is an opportunity. 
Romans 14, 12 says, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That is a frightening verse to me. It's second to the most frightening verse in all the Bible, which is every word that you've spoken will be spoken before the throne of God. That wipes me out. All the stupid things and rude things I've said, but I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ that even though I'm accountable for every word and every moment of my life, by the grace of Jesus Christ, it can be redeemed. So that's where our shame evaporates around our hope. Verse 15, James says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live. Pause there for a moment. What is James' point? If God gives me a tomorrow, I'm going to use it for his glory. But he's already given me a day. I'm going to use that for his. If the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. I've often joked with this church, I don't believe that walking by the will of God means that you need to stop in the middle of Walmart and pray whether you buy real Captain Crunch or generic. I don't want us to get legalistic. Like, should I get all beef hot franks or should I get like the fake franks? What should I do, Lord? I think God's going to go, just don't eat hot dogs. (laughs) Start there. Eat a vegetable. But ultimately, there's a permissive will of God and then there's a very clear will of God. And when the clear will of God calls, what do we say? Yes, sir. And when the permissive will of God, we ask for leading and guidance by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And if we open ourselves up to that, James says, that's how you live life. Live it that way. But he says, but those of us who don't, verse 16, but as it is, your boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil, as if we control time. Ecclesiastes 3.15, I like this verse. When it was written, it would have been harsh. But on this side of the cross and the grave, it's good. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. All it's saying is God knows what's going on and God is working his plan through all of it. So we know that we will all give an account for time. The last principle I want to bring up is today matters. Today matters. It's more than significant. It is all we have. And I need to live my day today this way. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend six sharpening my axe. That's pretty cool. I wouldn't. I'd just whack on something until either it fell or I did. That's why Abraham Lincoln's going to be remembered and I won't. Because he realized the value of using his time for his purposes. Romans 13, 11 says, and do this. Understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's a clear challenge, isn't it? The Bible is so expressive about the gift of time and how it can be worshipful, how it can be purposeful, how it doesn't mean you can't have a life that you can't have plans. But are those plans incorporated into your faith? Are you doing what you're doing to the glory of God and as an act of worship? Because as Michael said several weeks ago on a Wednesday night, if you can mix your rest, your play, and your time well, you're worshiping every moment, which is what James has called us to. So what do we do with all of this talk? James said, verse 17, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's time to reset. 
So how do we practically do that? I want to give you two things with a, some scriptures to show you that this is clear throughout the Bible. First of all, recognize the brevity of human life. You're not going to be here forever. And it, if it is true that we will all stand before God and we will offer back the use of our time as a gift of worship to him, what do you want to present your father when you meet him face to face? You won't have to fear him, but what are you going to give him for the gift of life that he gave you? Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me know I'm not here forever, God. Remind me that there's no tomorrow when I have such a beautiful opportunity today. Psalm 39, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. I really love that because if I understand the Hebrew word for breath there, it means a gasp. It means an inhalation and an exhalation. Over time, I'm but a puff of air. To the glory of God, that puff of air can be worshipped. Without the glory of God, that puff of air did nothing lasting. So God, teach us to number our days. Time is not a threat. Time is a gift. And lastly, seek the Lord in all you do. It really is that simple. Take away the compartmentalization of your life. Be God's in everything you do. I can be God coaching a youth football team. I can be God driving down the road. It's harder than the other, but I can do that. I can be God preaching and studying. I can be a God horsing around with my son, throwing a football around the living room and playing tackle football. I can do, I can be God's everywhere. Unless I say to God, yeah, I'm going to do this one on my own, which is arrogant. Isaiah 56, 6, or 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Time. Take advantage of it. Galatians 6, 10, speaking to Christians, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Proverbs three twenty seven. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Notice that there's not a shame comp- component here. God's not saying, I better get 18 hours a day or you're in trouble. No, God says, no, no, I'm going to give you in the gift of life opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and you worship me by saying, I'll take it. I'll love. I'll serve. I'll care. I'll show your grace. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's a worldview. Why am I here? Why has God given me today? And what can I do to bring him glory with every moment he's given us? Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.